glad to see you today, and I appreciate the honor uh, to be back at Burlington Baptist Church. I'm going to be here for the month of December, and if you're a guest and you're wondering who in the world is this old man, uh, I am Elder Campbell. Uh, I've been around for a long time, and so uh, I get to come here ever uh, often uh, to preach, and I consider it an honor. You know, there's a lot of Christian church preachers never get the honor to preach in a Baptist church, and uh, I had that honor. Uh, I just closed out over at uh, uh, Bullocksville Baptist Church, and so uh, I, I was available, and I was glad I was available. And you know, it speaks, you know, a Christian church preacher in a Baptist church, it, it really speaks to the fact that denominational lines do not have to divide us, amen? There are going to be no denominations in heaven, amen? We're all going to be God's children, and we ought to be God's children here on earth, but we, we don't act like it sometimes, do we? Now, I tell you what, I come this morning with a lot of fear and trepidation. I really do. I watched online what happened here last Sunday, and I thought, if they sing I'll Fly Away one more time, Burlington Baptist will become the biggest Pentecostal church in Burlington. Wow, what a send-off. You talk about picking and grinning. You did it last week, so I hope this is not a letdown. Uh, for you. But I do know that this is a bittersweet Sunday for all of us uh, because we come grieving for the loss of Kent and Diane. He was here for 10 years. That's a long ministry. And uh, some of you will grieve more than others because you were closer to him. But I hope that you will give yourself permission to grieve. I think that is so important because it is a time of grief. I'm grieving because I loved him dearly, and I'm going to miss being around that crazy guy. And uh, I, I, if you were, if when I was feeling down, you know who I called? I called Kent, and he went to lunch at Kent's. Kent was a joy mentor, and uh, and so we're going to miss him greatly uh, because we won't get to spend that time with him. But I tell you, folks, the the. the I affirm the rightness of his decision, but uh, it's still going to make us sad because, because he died. And I rejoice with Diane because I know how much it means to my wife to be able to be close to her girls and to our grandchildren. And now we're getting ready to have a great-grandchild, and we're getting ready to have our other daughter move back in the area and uh, it'll be the first time we've been able to be together in the same area forever. So I rejoice with Diane, don't you, that she gets to be the mother and the grandmother uh, that she's never been able to be. So let's pray for them, okay? Let's pray for them. Father, you send people into our lives that bring us so much joy and bless us by who they are and the time that we get to spend with them. And Kent and Diane were those kind of people. So we thank you that we were blessed to share the last 10 years of our life with them. And we just want to thank you for it. And Father, you've opened a door for them to begin a new ministry, a new phase in their life. And we thank you for that. And we ask, Father, that you bless this time in their lives and the life of their family. And now, Father, I do pray that you would comfort the Burlington Baptist family as they do grieve. 
for the loss of their pastor, the shepherd, their friend. And I pray that you now begin to give them wisdom and guidance in the search for a new pastor in their own church. And Lord, on this first Sunday of Advent, we pray that you come down and come in and come among us. We pray that you will come into our despair with hope, come fill our emptiness with your presence, dispel the clouds and reveal your glory. And I pray during this season that you will come and refresh and renew and restore us with the hope that you brought at your birth. Now, Father, pour through me the gift of preaching. Take these human words and use them to speak to us today and give each of us just the message you want us to hear because we pray to you in the name of Mary's baby, Jesus Christ the Lord, and all God's people said, where do you call home? According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 40 million Americans move every year. That's 14% of the population. The typical American family will move 11.4 times during the course of time. How many of you are moving in on number 11 already? So where do you call home? Home is one of the most powerful words in all the English language. Home stirs the most powerful emotions, both positive and negative, particularly at Christmas time. Now, Christmas is so special that it plants within us a great longing to be home for Christmas. And a lot of our Christmas carols talk about going home for Christmas. But the most popular one is, I'll be home for Christmas. I'll Be Home for Christmas was written by a, a girl by the name of Kim Gannon, and then Walter Kent wrote the music to her words. Now, for young and old, <clears throat> during the darkest days of World War II, I'll Be Home for Christmas represented their hopes and dreams and prayers better than any other song, movie, or story. Now, I'll Be Home for Christmas is probably one of the shortest Christmas carols ever written. It only has 39 words. And yet those 39 words moved a nation during the war as the way they continue to move us today. And it makes that secular carol one of the most sacred song, Christmas songs of all time. In 1942, Kim Gannon knew the emotional toll that the war was having on the people in Brooklyn where she lived. The war had cast a real shadow over the celebration of Christmas. It was hard to think about presents. It was hard to think about peace on earth when parents read the newspaper every day to see who had been killed and prayed that every telegram boy passed them by. And to make matters worse, no one was completely sure that the United States and their allies could win this terrible war. So with the coming of Christmas, the depression of being separated from loved ones was absolutely horrible. Now, not only were military people separated from their families, but we often forget that rural men and women 
had moved in from the country to work in the war plants, and most of them were spending Christmas away from home, away from their families for the first time, and they were lonely and they were homesick. Now, one of the wonders of I'll Be Home for Christmas is that it sounds more like a letter written of home rather than a typical Christmas carol. Now, there, there's a sadness evident in it, but there is also a melody of hopefulness in it. It's as if the singer of I'll Be Home for Christmas is a sailor or a soldier or a, or, or a flyboy or a marine assuring those who missed him and her that they will be together again. And ultimately, I'll be home for Christmas, left the listeners with this final plea, don't give up, don't give up, we'll be together again. And then throughout World War II, the Korean conflict, Vietnam, Desert Storm, Iraq, and now this long war in Afghanistan, that song symbolizes and captures the emotions of those on the battlefront as well as the emotions of those home praying for their safe return. Now today, 76 years later, after it was embraced as a World War II prayer, I'll be home for Christmas stirs emotions because most of those who returned home from World War II <coughs> have left this world for the next. Did you know that there were 16 million who served in World War II, 16 million? And now there are only 496,000 of them left. And that changes every day because every day 362 World War veterans die. Out of the 11,000 veterans, out of the 11,000 World War II veterans that served from the Commonwealth, only 5,829 are left, <coughs> and that changed since yesterday. And yet, because of their contribution and their sacrifice, those men and women who served in those dark days will always be home for Christmas in our hearts and in our memories and in our dreams. Now, I, I'm going out on a limb, and uh, I did find a World War II veteran here. Uh, where's Miss McMurray? Are there any other World War II veterans here? Where is he? He was at the door. There he is. Are <coughs> Are there any others? Now I want all you vet to stay standing. I want all you veterans to stand. All who have served. I want all of you to stand. standing were any keep standing were any of you uh, away from home for Christmas when you served look at this look at this how many of them are away from home for Christmas when you served now I want to honor these two veterans and let's sing I'll be home for Christmas keep standing boys <clears throat> let's sing I'll be home for Christmas to honor these heroes amen I'll be home for Christmas, you can count on me. <laughs> 
and snow and mistletoe and presents on the tree. Christmas Eve will find me where the love lights gleam. I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. Thank you guys for your service. Amen. Two, two of my grandkids are in the military and serving right now, so thank you very much. Our Christmas messages, I'm going to be here for the whole month of December. And our Christmas messages this year will center around the theme, I'll be home for Christmas. On this first Sunday of Advent, let's talk about come home to home. Now, Christmas teaches us so much about hope. The best definition that I've ever found for hope is hope is an optimistic outlook based on biblical promises. Hope is an optimistic out outlook based on biblical principles. Now you take Mary, for example. There is so much to learn about hope and faith from Mary. Now, folks, when we see Mary portrayed on Christmas pageants and on Christmas cards and nativity scenes, she, she looks so lovely, she looks so serene, and, and what happened to her just seems so simple and so easy, but that's not the case. Luke says it this way. I'm using the New Living Translation. If that bothers anybody, I do pray in the King James In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary who was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. This, the Lord, is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel said. For you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left Mary. Christmas art shows the holy family stamped in gold foil, Mary calmly receiving the news that she's going to be the mother of a son of God. But that's not the way that Luke tells the story. It says in the text, did you catch it, that Mary was greatly troubled. 
and she was afraid, particularly after the angel told her, Mary, you are going to be the mother of the Son of the Most High God. Wow. Now, people, I don't believe we even begin to understand what Mary went through. In our permissive culture, a pregnancy like Mary has undoubtedly lost some of its force. But 2,000 years ago, in a little Jewish village, when an engaged woman became pregnant, the law said that she should be stoned to death. I don't believe that we began to understand at all the emotional suffering that Mary went through when she said, I am the Lord's servant. Now, parents, put yourself in her place. Put yourself in her place. Mary was probably 15 or 16 years old. Put yourself in her parents' place. Mom, Dad, I have something to tell you. I am pregnant. Yes, yes, Mom, yes, Dad, but it's by the hand. Still a virgin. It's by the hand. Wow. Can you imagine what she was asking her parents to believe? Think about what she was asking Joseph to believe. Have you ever thought about the conversation that Joseph and Mary must have had when she told Joseph that she was pregnant? Man, it must have been a doozy. Joseph, honey, I have something I need to tell you. What is it, Mary? Does your mother want to change the eating arrangement at the wedding reception again? No, Joseph, it's more important. Well, I don't think anything's more important to your mother than the wedding reception. That's all we've talked about in the last six months. We have to limit the guest list. Where are the flowers going to be? Who's going to sit with whom? Joseph, Joseph. And then there is the matter of the Coasting Caterer Company. They're going to charge us an arm and a leg for all this food. Joseph, Joseph, I'm pregnant. You're pregnant. I'm pregnant. How? By whom? Oh, it's that limp rider, Eliezer. I never did like the way that he looked at you. No, Joseph. It's by the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm going to have, I'm going to give birth to the Messiah. An angel told me. Really? Really, Mary? And I'm going to be made the high priest. Who are you kidding, Mary? Do you know what's going to happen when this gets out? Mary, they stone girls for things like this. Mary, how could you? How could you? Now, folks, a lot of people have a problem in believing in the virgin birth, but I want to tell you, Joseph had a bigger problem in believing in the virgin birth than anybody. Now, be honest. Would you have believed that? Mary, when Mary's pregnancy became knowledge, it must have been more difficult for Mary than we could ever begin to imagine. Philip Yancey in his great book, The Jesus I Never Knew, says this, nine months of awkward explanations 
the lingering sense of scandal. It seems that God could arrange, it seems that God arranged the most humiliating circumstances possible for his entrance into the world. You see, the Virgin Mary, whose pregnancy is unplanned, did consciously when the angel told her what was going to happen, this young girl considered the consequences and she said, I am the Lord's servant. Philip Yancey again says, she was the first person to accept Jesus on his own terms, regardless of the person's background. Now, here in Mary, we see a powerful portrait of Christ-like hope painted in bold strokes. Now, Remember, what, 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 is, what is hope? Christian hope is optimism based on biblical principles. Let me reach into Luke 1 and pull out three principles. The first one is this. Hope hears God's voice. Mary was in tune to God. Apparently, Mary was already listening with ears of faith, and she was able not only to hear God's message, but respond to God's message. Hope hears God's voice. And folks, I am convinced that God is speaking loud and clear today, but sadly so few of us are tuned in. And many of us are caught up in this hectic pace of life, particularly at this time of year, so we just don't stop to listen. And today we're blasted by words and voices and talk radio and talk shows and blah, 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 blah. And this is such a noisy world. And you know what most of us do? We just pull back into our hard shell and we just stonewall our way through life. And I deal with a lot of people who are just thrown in the towel and retreat from the struggle and close their minds to the voice of God. We don't want our world disturbed by any new ideas, so we tune them out. We have ears to hear, but we're not listening. Hope hears the voice of God. <clears throat> Mary was tuned in to hear God. One of the questions that you're going to have to answer this Christmas is, can you hear the baby? Can you hear the baby? Above all the chaos, can you hear God? Is that a priority for you? Or have you closed your mind to the voice of God? I'm not listening anymore because she heard God's voice. The second principle I want to pull out of this text is this. Hope obeys God's will. Mary's hope was great because Mary obeyed God's will. Now, in the original language of the New Testament, the word faith literally means believing obedience. Believing obedience. We have a song about it. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Sing it with me. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Believing obedience. 
believing in God so much that we commit ourselves, body, mind, and soul, to his will, come what may. That is exactly what Mary did. One of the foremost Christian scholars and theologians of this century was a man by the name of William Barclay, and he was from Scotland. And I'm sure I'm from Scotland. I'm sure I'm cringing. <laughs> his commentaries are, have been some of my favorites. He died in 1978 at the age of 85. After he died, his family was going through his belongings, and they found a piece of paper that was yellow and wrinkled and worn with age. And on it, it said, an act of commitment. Dr. Barclay had written that commitment on his 16th birthday, and he continued to sign his name to it on every birthday he had as a way of renewing that commitment. And that well-worn paper showed that Dr. Barclay had signed it on his 16th birthday and he signed it on his 85th birthday. Now, you do the math. For 69 years, he had been signing that commitment. In this act of commitment, Dr. Barclay was renewing his life to God by dedicating all that he was to God, all that he had to God, to be used for God's glory. His brilliant mind, his body, his possessions, his time, his influence on other people. And he ended that commitment with these words. Look at the screen. To thee, O Lord, I leave the management of all events and say without reserve, not my will, but thine be done. And he signed that commitment 69 years. William Barclay was a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And like William Barclay's commitment, Mary's loyalty to God and doing his will was absolute, totally uh, complete. It just blows my mind away. And Mary's hope was not tentative. It was not conditional. Hers was a complete obedience to God, no matter how rough the road was going to get for her, and it did get rough for her, and it stayed rough for her until Jesus was resurrected from the dead. All right. You, I've been here before. You know I like to do reviews before I go on, so let's do a little review. And it gives you time to take a breath, and also gives you time to just take a piece and grab your own tissue. Let's do a little review. Are you with me? Hope hears God's voice. And hope obeys God's will, trusts and obeys. And then let me pull a third truth from this text. Hope trusts God's power. Hope trusts God's power. The angel tells Mary. Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the one to be born will be called the Son of God. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Mary had to take one step at a time, one day at a time, by putting her hope in God's power for what she was going through and for, for the future that she had no idea about. What 
I want to tell you, hope is one of the most marvelous gifts of God, a source of strength and courage that gives us power to face life's hardest trials. You see, when we're trapped in a tunnel of misery, hope points a light at the end. When we're overworked and exhausted, hope gives us faith and new energy. When we're discouraged, hope lifts our spirits. When we are tempted to quit, hope keeps us going. When we lose our way in confusion and, and we're, we doubt the future and we doubt our destination, hope dulls the edge of the panic. When we're struggling with a crippling disease or a lingering illness, hope gives us the ability to persevere through the pain. When we fear the worst, hope reminds us that God is in control. And, and when we endure the consequences of a bad decision, whoo, hope refuels our recovery. When we find ourselves unemployed, hope tells us that we have a future. When we are forced to sit back and wait and wait, then hope gives us patience to wait. When we feel rejected, when we feel abandoned, hope reminds us that we're not alone that God is with us, and we can make it. And when we have to say farewell to someone we love, hope in eternal life in Jesus gets us through hard times. Amen, I believe that's what you said. Simply put, like Mary, when life hurts and dreams fade, nothing helps like hope. Christian hope is an optimistic belief based on the Bible and its promises. You see, folks, how vital hope is to our experience. Without hope, prisoners of war languish and die. Without hope, students just get discouraged and drop out. Without hope, athletes Athletic teams fall into a slump and continue to lose. The Bengals must have given up their hope a long time ago. I've been here 46 years. I don't even know they ever had any hope. And every year I say I'm not watching them. I'm not torturing myself. So maybe we should give them hope. Without hope, addicts return to their habits. Without hope, married people that decide to throw in the towel and divorce. And without hope, inventors and artists and entrepreneurs and, and entertainers and even pastors lose their creativity. Old Fred Craddock, one of my favorite preachers in all the world, he said, hope can live on one side of the bed. He says it's impossible to kill hope because it can live on one side of the in 2009, Scott McIntyre was an American artist. He was born blind. At the age of 19, he almost died of kidney failure, but a friend actually gave him one of the kidneys to save his life. I heard him sing, I am hope, and it was a beautiful song. When day is swallowed up in night, when you can barely see the light, Look for me, 
the strength of heart is gone when you're barely holding on. Reach to me. And every time you need me, I am present. You can find me on the way to every story's happy ending. You don't know how to make it through the pain, but you won't give up while you still know my name. I am holding. When you get caught up in the rush, broken, bruised, and out of touch, cling to me. When all your bridges burn away, when there's nothing left to say, pray for me when you can't find victory. I am hope. You can find me on the way to every story's happy ending. You don't know how to make it through the pain, but you won't give up while you still know my name. I am hope. Don't ever settle for defeat. Just hold your head up and believe as long as you're breathing, there is hope. I am hope. You can find me on the way to every story's happy ending, even though fear itself stood in the way. You made it through because you knew my name. I am hope. Just kiss me. before you today and we and as the songs are sung Lord I need you so much and there are times when we feel so hopeless and there are times when we feel weak we pray for hope we need hope for a better future we need hope for a better life we need hope for love and kindness when we need hope help us to listen for your voice Obey your will and trust your power. Father, there are some here today who have never accepted you as their Lord and Savior. Give them the courage to make that choice today. Give their life 